Well, we are going to take some time this morning and just uh, to review a few fundamentals, but uh, as we do that, let me encourage you to find that note-taking guide. It may be helpful to you this morning, uh, particularly toward the end uh, and uh, how I want us to kind of uh, try to process this in the presence of the Lord. But I want to talk to you this morning about uh, being a 5G follower of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe the way to, to, to set this up is to, to take you back with me in my childhood for a little bit. We moved uh, uh, when I was young from Philadelphia to the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. It was a good move because we moved into a small community, uh, neighborhood, had a lot of boys uh, kind of around my age, some older, some younger. Uh, but uh, uh, it was just great. We were surrounded by woods and so spent a lot of time in the woods doing all sorts of things. There was this one section that they had cleared out. They were going to put some houses in and then the whole thing fell through. So it was just this kind of this big empty area of red clay and we mailed that into a, a dirt bike uh, ride area and built a little baseball field there and all that. Uh, but I spent a lot of time building forts and having battles and all that stuff in the woods. But there was one kind of one adventure that you had to block out the whole day for. It was a trip to Ball Headed Hill. Right? I mean, it took half a day to get there and half a day back. Right? You had to pack stuff, and we would uh, to get there and put drinks in, the, in a creek to keep them cool. Right? Uh, I mean, it was all this adventure. Ball-Headed Hill was so named because it had, it had trees up to a certain point, and then the trees line stopped, and it was just kind of grass, uh, you know, kind of on top there, kind of like some hairlines out there, right? <laughs> you know how that goes. So it's Ball Headed Hill, and so it was the great adventure to get to Ball Headed Hill, particularly if you didn't know the way, which you just didn't know the way when you were first there. And I always kind of depended upon most of the older ones to kind of show you the way. And over time, you began to learn the, the path to get to Ball Headed Hill. You knew what, where to enter the woods, what direction to go, when to turn to the right, when to turn to the left. You, you learned the place you could get across the creek and, and, and climb up the bank on the other side. Uh, you learned that uh, you avoided this and, and, and went this way. And so you, you kind of began to learn over time the pathway to your intended destination of Ball Headed Hill. And I think about what it means for us as followers of Christ and kind of the intended destination, if you would, to be a, a fully devoted follower of Christ, to be one who's, who is becoming the person that God created us to be, who's fulfilling the purposes that God has uniquely to work out in and through our lives. And, and what we kind of as we wrestle with that, so, you know, a pathway can be very, very helpful in that. A pathway can help guide us to our intended destination. And maybe you can get there uh, kind of random, but not likely and not very well. Uh, but, but to have a pathway, that this is how you get to this intended destination. The pathway can make it a whole lot simpler to arrive at our intended destination. And so what I want to kind of talk to you about this morning is a pathway. A pathway that none of us will ever outgrow. A pathway that will help us to move forward to becoming a disciple, to being the person God created us to be and fulfilling the purposes that God has for our lives. In Matthew 28, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, 
Jesus, in this post-resurrection appearance, this, this last word of commissioning, gives what has been referred to now through the centuries as uh, the, the Great Commission. Many of you are very, very familiar with the words, but don't let the familiarity stop you from understanding the importance of it. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came, this resurrected Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And with all of that authority, what is it that he commanded us to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, many of you have, have heard messages, you've perhaps taught this passage, you've been in Bible studies around this passage, you could dissect it in a whole lot of ways. Well, how I want to kind of approach that this morning is to think about it in terms of uh, what, what is the pathway? Because yes, go and make disciples, and yes, baptizing, and yes, teaching, but kind of how that looks doesn't tell us. He says he's going to be with us in the midst of it, but the pathway is maybe not as crystal clear just from that passage. And so what I want to do is talk about a pathway and kind of build it around five G's. And I hope it'll be kind of a helpful image for you to have in your head and a framework for your own life and kind of how am I doing, how am I moving forward in this full devotion to Christ. But also, I hope maybe it'll be a tool that would be useful to you in coming alongside someone else and kind of helping them to discover a pathway or help them to understand what their next step may be along the way. So if you can kind of see in the center screen here, there's this, there's this graphic, and that's kind of, kind of the, the central thing that we're going to work off of, the five G's. And the first one is dead center, and it's dead center for a purpose, and that is grace. Grace, being transformed by God's grace, because this is where it begins. Apart from the grace of God, nothing else matters. Nothing else on the outside is, is really going to be affected. We are all dependent upon the grace of God that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection that we could never have done for ourselves, and for us to receive and experience the transforming power of God's grace. And so as we think about grace, I want you to kind of think about two major uh, headings or thoughts under that. The first is receiving. Receiving God's grace through faith. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The only way that I could ever be in a restored relationship with a holy God, the only way that I can live in a right relationship with God is through His grace. No amount of works would ever earn forgiveness. No amount of good deeds would, would ever earn merit in the, in the eyes of a holy God. It is by His grace. And I open up my life to receive that grace through faith. 
turning from sin, turning from a self-directed life, and turning and placing my trust, my faith, my dependence upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this whole entire journey begins by receiving God's grace through faith. Now, I want to just pause right here. As we go through this, there may be parts along the way you'll say, that's me. That's my next step. That's where I need to be. And maybe you're here this morning, and before we go very far at all, you say, whoa, that's me. That's me. So I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about having more good deeds than bad. I'm talking about recognizing my need for God's rescuing grace and receiving it by faith. Receiving God's grace through faith. That begins the work of his transforming. And then we celebrate that grace. We celebrate God's grace through baptism. And so he said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples and baptizing them. That there is this celebration of God's grace. The New Testament church modeled that for us. Acts 2 said those who received his word were baptized. When we receive God's grace, how do we celebrate that? How do we give testimony to that? The the Bible's way to do that is through the waters of baptism. It is through baptism that we declare we are dependent upon Him. We belong to Him. We have been rescued and are being transformed by Him. And for some of you here today, perhaps your next step is to go public with your faith in the waters of baptism, to say, I need to do what Jesus modeled and what Jesus commanded. And I need to celebrate God's grace through the waters of baptism. When we have baptisms here, uh, you, many of you have been here when we've done that at different times in the services, and, and there's just people applaud. Rightfully so, right? I mean, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of God's grace. It's a celebration of a life transformed by God's grace, an eternity transformed, moving from darkness to light, from death to life. And we celebrate God's grace. And one of the ways we do that, the beginning way we do that, is through the waters of baptism. Grace is central. It is central because without that grace— there is no pathway. Without God's grace, none of the rest of it matters. In fact, is grace is central in here on purpose because it's grace that makes all the rest of it possible. It's grace that fuels and enables everything else we're going to talk about. Touched by God's grace, being transformed by God's grace, I can begin to take steps along a pathway. And the first step I want to suggest to you is the step of gather, to gather with others. Again, we look to the New Testament for our model in this, this birthing of this New Testament church in Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of the things that you begin to quickly discover as you read the Bible, as you read the New Testament is God never intended for us to do this thing alone, right? 
That he called us into community. He called us into connection. He called us to not only belong to him, belong to one another. And so as we, we talk about gathering with others, if I'm going to move forward in being the person that God created me to be and fulfilling the purposes that God has for my life, I need to build into my life a rhythm, a rhythm of gathering with others. I need to gather with others to worship, to worship. And you say, well, Jeff, can't I worship alone? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely, you should. But we also gather purposefully with others. You know, it, this, just thinking about the, the, the insanity of God and thinking about brothers and sisters in Christ who were scattered, and some of them in hard, hard places, some of them where it's, it's supposedly illegal to get together, and yet there is still something so compelling about needing to be together that they would risk, they would risk being found out to gather with others to worship. There are times when I come to worship, and maybe you come to worship, and quite honestly, you don't feel worshipful, right? Maybe it's just been one of those weeks or one of those months or one of those years. And maybe you're, you're just, your mind's filled with so many other things. And maybe even as words appear on a screen, you don't really feel like singing them, and you're not even a little bit unsure if you believe them today or not. But then, then you gather with God's people. And in those moments, you're reminded as you hear other voices, you're reminded of the greatness of God. You're reminded of the faithfulness of God. You're reminded of the presence and the power and the promises of God. And you're swept up in worship again. There are times when you are that person to somebody else. And there are times that as we gather together, we embolden, we enlarge, we envelop one another in our worship. We build into our lives a rhythm of gathering with others. From the creation, there was this rhythm of, of stopping working and, and start worshiping. That we, we build that rhythm into our week of gathering with others to worship, but also gathering in groups. To gather in groups. Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day, drawing near. It is, it is vital to gather together for worship, but if you've been around here for a while, you've heard us to say, don't settle for sitting in rows, but get in circles. Get in circles. We, we need to be in those environments where we are interacting with each other and not just the back of somebody's head, right? We, we need to be in those environments where we can encourage one another, where we can challenge one another where we can pray with one another. We can minister one to another. And that's not going to happen just in large gatherings. It's going to happen as we gather with others in groups. Some of the easiest groups to be a part of are on Sunday morning. There's groups for adults. There's, there's groups for students and children and preschoolers. There's opportunities at other times. There's, there, there's a group forming on Sunday night. Now, it may be a time for you just to engage. Maybe you're serving with children or students on Sunday morning and say, hey, here's an opportunity for me to gather with some other adults in a group. 
So there's opportunities to gather with others, gather with others in worship, gather with others in groups. But as we gather, we also want to grow. The uh, target, if you will, is to grow more like Christ. In Romans, uh, Paul talks about that we are being conformed, being conformed to the image, being transformed more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Peter said we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is is a part of us that, that we are absolutely, once we are in Christ, there is a sense we are fully formed, and yet we'll spend the rest of of our life kind of growing into that. I, I think about it, and many of you, you have small children now, or um, just uh, had, a, had a, a grandson board uh, a couple months ago, and, and you know how we do, we, you, you, what, you count fingers, you count toes, right? You make sure you head and ears, nose, all. I mean, you kind of kind of look at everything, you know, and it's, 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 wow, he's fully formed, fully formed, and yet you know that's not where he's going to stay the rest of his life, right? If he does, something's terribly wrong. No, he's got to grow. He's going to grow. And in much the same way that, that, I, that I, am, I am, in one sense, complete in Christ as I've been touched by his grace, and in another sense, I'm going to spend the rest of my life growing, growing in the grace, growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in order to do so, there are certain choices I have to make. Paul wrote to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The, the, the picture there is of an athlete in training. Actually, the word train even has, has the, the, we get our, our word gym from it. It's kind of uh, this, this gym, this, this training yourself for godliness. Well, how do I do that? How do I, I grow more like Christ? Again, kind of two thoughts to kind of guide us on this pathway. The first is through personal time with God. Through personal time with God. The, the, there, is, there is nobody that can read the Bible for you, right? There's nobody that can, can spend time alone listening to God through His Word, God's Spirit, taking God's Word and speaking to God's child for you. And I need to build some of those rhythms into my life. Not only am I gathering with others on a weekly basis, but, but individually, day by day, I'm building in some of that personal time with the Lord. And you may be here today and you say, well, my, my next step might be to sharpen the saw on that a little bit. On October, we're going to be offering a, a, just a short-term study on Sunday mornings on some spiritual growth habits. That might be something you want to check out to kind of help sharpen your skills in that area, just kind of giving you some tools that will help you to spend time personally alone with God. But hear, hear my heart on this. You, you could be a part of the best church in the world with the greatest environments in the world but that's only going to take you so far it's only going to take you so far unless you are personally interacting with God's word personally opening up your life to God's spirit I do that through personal time with God but also through learning with others 
through learning with others, that I intentionally choose as kind of part of a discipline in my life, part of training myself to, to put myself in environments, to put myself in situations where I can grow and be shaped by others. And so it might be a disciple life class on a Sunday evening, a short-term study where I can kind of learn with others. It might be that I, I choose to be a part of a group, a group of men or a group of women who say, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to go get kind of a little step further. We're going we're gonna to kind of take the commitment up a notch here, and we're going we're gonna to really invest in each other's lives. And, and if, that's, if that's maybe something you're interested in, they, they, I know there's some men's groups that are forming, some of the, the women's ministries doing some things, but check out some of those opportunities. If you're a man here, uh, let me just go ahead and challenge you personally. Uh, maybe you're ready to say, hey, I want to be a part of a group. I'd like to be a part of a group that just some guys that maybe we can take that next step. We can do a little iron sharpening iron. And some groups have already come together for this fall. Some are getting ready to come together. And so you may just want to write on a connect card or you may want to stop by the next steps area and say, hey, tell me, you know, can somebody give me a little more information about some of those opportunities to, to learn with others along the way? So I, I, I'm touched by God's grace. I gather intentionally with others. I grow more like Christ. Now again, let me bring you back to the center. It is always because of grace. It is grace that fuels and enables everything else we're talking about here. I don't do these things to earn something from God. I do these things because it puts me in a position to receive more of what God already wants to pour into my life, the grace that he already wants to have touch every part of my life. Two more Gs. Fourth one is give. To give of yourself, that, that part of, of fulfilling God's purpose, part of becoming the person that God wants me to be is learning to give of myself. Jesus put it very succinctly, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's one of, those, one of those things in Scripture that grips us and we begin to understand, wait a minute, this, isn't, this, this doesn't make sense that as I give my life away, as I lose it, then I actually find it. But that's what Jesus tells us. It, when I try to save my life, when I try to hold on to my life, when I try to hold on to things, that actually robs me of life. That robs me of becoming the person that God created me to be and doing the things that God's designed me to do. But when I sh shift gears, when I understand that it is in giving my life away that I begin to discover the life that really is life. And how do I do that? Well, two ways. One, I do that by serving God, by serving others. By serving God, by serving others. And the Scripture talks about this over and over and over again, and we don't have time to go into all the examples, so let me just give you one statement from Peter this morning. But as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace that, that you and I have been entrusted, a follower of Jesus Christ. We have aptitudes and abilities. We have spiritual giftedness. We have opportunities. We have life experiences that have shaped us. All of these things aren't just for us, but they've been entrusted to us to be able to make a difference in the lives of other people.
Every follower of Jesus Christ is, is gifted, is called upon to give their life away in serving other people. Now, occasionally, I hear folks say something like this. Well, I've done my time. <laughs> then it almost sounds like serving as a jail sentence, right? <laughs> you know, well, I've done my time. You know, get somebody else to do it, right? No. No, no, no. It's not a have to. It's not a jail sentence. It's a, it's a get to. I get to serve. Now, please hear me. The, the way of your serving may change through different seasons of your life, through different stages. Sometimes God starts you where and he grows another passion in your life. That is absolutely appropriate. But what I'm convinced God didn't intend for anybody just to kind of sit, soak, and sour, right? And just to kind of be a consumer. But, but we're all designed to be contributors. We need one another. Uh, Paul talked about the body of Christ and every part of the body has to be functioning for the body to be what God intended for it to be. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And I know all of us are busy. We are. But what I know is that God made you to make a difference. God designed you to be used by God to touch the lives of other people. And I serve God by serving other people. And for some of you, your next step on this journey is to engage or re-engage. It's to just check a box on the back of a connect card or stop by a next step area. Just say, hey, I'm not even 100% sure what this looks like, but I'm ready. I'm ready. How can God use me? How can God use me? Serve God by serving others. But there's a very, another very tangible way that we give ourselves away, and that is giving financially through the church. Giving financially through the church. Jesus said, do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, sometimes folks get real nervous when you start talking about money because money's personal and all that. Well, sure it is. But do you know that Jesus actually, when you read the New Testament, he talked more about money than he talked about a whole lot of other things? Why? Because I think he knew. He knew. He knew a truth. The truth is that God uses money to reveal and reorient our heart. That God uses money to reveal and reorient our heart. You want to know what you treasure? Not what you say you treasure when you're filling out an inventory. Not what you say you treasure when you're in a Bible study, right? And you got to give like the spiritual answer. You want to know what you treasure? Follow the money. Follow the money. Because that begins to reveal what it is I treasure. I know folks, friends of mine, I love them. They spend thousands of dollars on something I haven't spent $10 on in my entire life. 
It's not because it's right or wrong. It's just because they value something I don't value at all. Right? But here's the thing. Where your treasure is not only reveals your heart, but it reorients your heart. That where I send my treasure, my heart begins to follow. Where, where my treasure goes, my, my mind begins to follow, my heart begins to follow, my life begins to follow along the way. And many of you have had, had that experience. And you've had that experience where, where, where maybe you, you, you had some money and maybe you, you invested it in something. Maybe it was real estate or maybe it was a, it was a stock or whatever it would be. And, and before, you didn't really care about real estate values in that section. You didn't have a whole lot of interest in the performance of that stock. But now that you've got skin in the game, now that you've directed some of your treasure there, you begin to start paying a little more attention. What's happening in that market? What's happening over there? What's happening to the value of that, right? Because you have sent treasure there. You find that your heart begins to follow. And Jesus said, that's what happens. That's what happens. So if you want your heart to go to the kingdom, send your treasure that way. Send your treasure that way. And what you'll find as you consistently do that, it not only reveals the priorities of your heart, but it begins to reorient the priorities of your heart over time. I give myself away as I serve God by serving others. I give myself away as I give of the, the financial resources that God has entrusted to me for kingdom causes. Well, the last G that I want to look at on our pathway this morning is go. Go sharing Christ. Go sharing Christ. So you go back to Matthew 28. Go, therefore, more literally translated, as you are going. As you are going, make disciples. And that begins with sharing Christ. When Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit, he said the Holy Spirit was for a purpose, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What does it look like to go sharing Christ? Maybe a shorthand way to understand this is everybody an everyday missionary. Everybody an everyday missionary. Listen, going on a trip doesn't make you a missionary. Living on mission makes you a missionary. And that takes place where you live, where you work, where you socialize, where you hang out, in the, the connections you already have, wherever you are. Every day, I begin to live my life with a sense that I have a calling, I have a mission. Yes, I work in banking. Yes, I work in education. Yes, I, I work in this industry. Yes, I, I work on this uh, factory floor. Yes, I am the VP of this or whatever it may be. But in the context of all of those things, in the context of shepherding my family and home, I am to live on mission. I am to live on mission. And my mission is more than making a living, but it's making a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of people. For you and I have been entrusted with the one and only message, 
the one and only message that can take somebody from hell to heaven, from death to life, that can change their forever. Everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. And we have a message that can set people free. It's the message that's touched us, the message of God's grace. And so going sharing Jesus looks like everybody, every man, every woman, every student, every child who is a follower of Jesus Christ, understanding and operating as I live on mission. I live on mission. And that, that takes different forms. Uh, but, but certainly it'll affect the way we pray, the way we live, the way we steward our stuff, the way we handle our time, the conversations we have. One example of that, again, to the New Testament church in Acts 4, as they're beginning to step out on mission, right? they're beginning to experience some pushback, some persecution. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. Look how they prayed. They prayed because they're on mission. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Not arrogance, not rudeness. Yes, Peter would say, do it with gentleness and respect, but with a holy boldness as men and women who are living on mission, everybody an everyday missionary. And maybe your next step is to say, God, I need to sharpen my soul in this area. I need to grow in this area. I need to be stretched. I need to be challenged in this area. And we do that locally and we do that globally. We do that locally and we do it globally. And we have, we have teams that have gone out all over the world. We have, even as we're gathered here this morning, we have folks of this fellowship who are, who are overseas sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But please hear me. Going on a trip doesn't make you a missionary. Living on mission makes you a missionary. And that begins right where you are today. It begins locally. Some of you may never go on a trip. You may never go to the Far East or whatever it would be. Many of you will. But wherever you're at, to live on mission. To live on mission. Let me just give you one more thing from the Ripkins. This has been reading some of their material and prep for their being here. It was several statements, but one I've just kind of kept before me. And it went like this. He said, how often, how often have you heard people pray and thank God that we're free to worship? Have you heard folks pray that way? God, thank you that we're free to worship, right? Most of us have heard folks. He said, how many times have you prayed or heard somebody else pray, God, thank you that we're free to witness? Hmm. Well, that was convicting. Are we more concerned that we'll have a freedom to worship or that we have an opportunity to witness? And I'm not saying thank God that we do have that freedom to worship. But regardless of the circumstances, 
as the Ripkins will remind us. Wherever you are or whatever the circumstances around you, you have that calling. You actually are free to witness. You're free to witness. Go sharing Christ. So let me bring you back to the center here for just a moment. One of the things that's always a little bit scary for me when you teach on this, when you talk about this, is because I know some of us, some of us are, are kind of list people. You know, we, we like to check things off, right? And we we kind of like, we want to get to that point of like, oh, okay, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, done, right? Here's the thing. This diagram is a circle intentionally because we never outgrow the need for this pathway. I never outgrow my need for God's grace. Morning by morning, new mercies I need, right? As well as see. I never outgrow my need to gather with others. No matter how spiritually mature you think you may be, you never outgrow your need to gather with others. I never outgrow my need to spend time alone with God. I never outgrow my need to be a part of a community where iron is sharpening iron, where we're helping and learning and growing together. I never outgrow my need to give myself away. I never outgrow my need to go sharing Christ. It's kind of like, if you will, we're into football season, right? In fact, some of you stayed up really late watching the game last night, didn't you, right? right? But here's what you know. Regardless of the level of football, whether it's what we used to call peewee, middle school, high school, college, or pro and the Panthers kick off this afternoon, right? There are fundamentals to that game that do not change that you never outgrow certain fundamentals no matter how long or at what level you play that game. Those fundamentals are always the same. And it's the same way in our walk with God. I'll never outgrow my need for a pathway. What God does, though, is as I continue that pathway, He enlarges me. He enlarges my heart. He enlarges my mind. He enlarges my relationship with him. He enlarges my capacity to serve and love others. And I'm continually growing, even though I must continually return to those fundamentals. And I do so with a dependent discipline. A dependent discipline. I don't, I don't gather, grow, give, and go like this is something that earns me merit with God. It is all fueled by that grace in the middle. I am absolutely dependent upon Him. If God doesn't work in the midst of that pathway, nothing changes in my life. I love the way that Paul brought those two together in Philippians 2. It's one of my favorite passages. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to work. You have to train. There is a discipline. You have to guard your time to gather and grow and give and go. But you do so knowing, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. It is his grace from beginning to end. It is God who stirs in you the desire and the capacity to do these things. And when I begin to walk on that pathway, when I keep taking that next step in obedience to him, I find that his grace meets me there. It is sufficient in every challenge and every opportunity. And more and more, I become the person God created me to be. And I begin to do what God designed me to do. But as I, I want to bring this to a point of reflection, and I want to do that with one last statement. It's not on your note-taking, guy. We've said it before. Let's say it again. Direction, not intention, determines my destination. Direction, not intention, determines my destination. For a group of boys in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, you could have intended to get to Ball Headed Hill, but if you set off in the wrong direction, it didn't matter how sincere your intention was. It really didn't matter how hard you ran or how late you worked. You weren't going to get there because you were headed in the wrong direction. Direction, not intention, determines my destination. But here's the other thing. You can be on the right path, but if you just sit there, you make no progress, right? It is the direction. It is taking that next step and taking that next step and taking that next step. And one step doesn't seem to make all that much difference. But as I continue taking steps in the direction, what I discover is that over time, my direction helps me to arrive at my intended destination. And a pathway helps to guide my direction. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is just spend a few moments in the presence of God with a very simple posture just to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And you're note-taking guide. There's, there's a long series of questions, much longer than usual with intentionality inviting you to make this highly, highly personal. Because I can't tell you what your next step is, but God can. God can. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to spend these next few moments, I'm going to pray over us, and then we're just going to spend some time just in the, in the presence of God, and just begin to review those questions under grace, under gather, under grow, under give, under go. And maybe as you just scan those, the, the Spirit will just kind of pause you at one and you just maybe just need to sit there for a few moments and say okay God what does it look like for me to step in this direction on this pathway in this season of my life allow God to guide you into what your next step might begin to look like let me pray for you as we prepare father every person in this room matters to you you have a purpose and a plan that you are unfolding in our lives. There are things that you want to do in us, and there are things that you want to do through us. 
And Lord, we get to choose to be a part of it. We get to choose to cooperate with that. And so, Father, right here, right now, as we just spend these next few moments still in your presence, Lord, would you just take these questions and use them as a tool in your hand just to prompt something in us, to stir something in us, to remind us of something. Father, it's not our good intention, but it's our continual steps in the right direction that'll lead us to where you want us to be. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And as you just continue to be still in the presence of God.